let me uh, cover us in prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God that wants to uh, speak to us directly. Um, Lord, would you teach us this morning? Would you speak to us this morning, Lord? Um, we just want to, Lord, we want to hear your full voice, but we want to give you our full heart, Lord. We know that um, we'll never be able to hear your voice if we're not listening. And so, Lord, we want to listen just really closely to what you have to say. And so, um, would your spirit move? And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Luke 19. <clears throat> if you need a Bible, we have a couple of Bible fairies around the room. Um, over the past month or so, ever since the end of winter camp, we've been, we've been going through this series about God's love um, and what that really means. Um, and we've been spending the bulk of it talking a lot about um, the subject of purity. Because that can be often a point where it can be mistaken or um, even look at things that are sexually immoral and say, that's what love is. That's what love really is. Um, and we spent, we spent the past couple of weeks talking about topics such as sex or even just the immorality of the world around us. But even just greater topics that point to what truly purity means even for us right now, like marriage and even dating and things like that. And um, for now, we're actually, we're moving uh, out of kind of the talk specifically on purity, and we're taking um, time to look at specific examples within the scriptures or in examples of Jesus of what it means to love. Because when it comes to the who defines love for you, um, what that really means, there's no further place to look than at Christ and to look at um, God's example of it, not only the words that God spoke, but even the very examples and the very things that he would call a blessing of what love really is. And that's what we're looking at this morning, um, specifically because love is the defining characteristic of those who follow Jesus. If you, if you say, I love Jesus, that means that you are filled with God's love, and it's a defining characteristic of who you are. To follow Christ is to, is to have God's love within you and pouring through you as well. Um, without it, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you might have. It doesn't matter what spiritual position or high ground you might take on someone, um, or take on yourself. Um, without love, you have nothing is what the word says. And it would even go as far as to say, Jesus would be talking to the religious leaders of the day during his earthly ministry. And in John five forty two, he's, he's speaking the loving truth to them. And he says, um, he says, you don't have the love of God in your hearts. That was one of the very critiques of it is that you might be a leader for my people, but you don't even know the love of God. How could you lead out on my behalf if you don't even know the love of God? It's foundational to who we are, which is why it's so vital for us to look at it in the scripture. And so this message this morning, um, it's, it's for students, but it's also for the leaders who are in the room. Not that messages are never for leaders. I always write them in mind of leaders of where you're at, um, but in terms of just the ministry and even just um, who we are um, and the point and the position that you guys are in to love students and to show God's love to them, I felt like this message really hit home with that. So I want you guys to just really listen to this um, and really just take it to heart. And so to give a little context about Luke 19, if you're already there, um, Jesus has been spending just about the last 10 chapters of Luke up to this point heading towards Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. We just celebrated that last week with Easter when he comes into Jerusalem. He has the Passover, the Last Supper with his disciples, his death and his resurrection. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem right now in that context. And so he's on a mission and he's on his way and he's moving towards that. 
And that's where we get to the story if you guys want to look at verse 1, chapter 19 of Luke. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Then Jesus reached the spot. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Can we all say amen? When you walk through the story, Jesus passes through a nearby town to Jerusalem of Jericho. Um, and it, it begins to explain that there's a man there that lives there. His name is Zacchaeus. And if um, you guys um, have heard or have learned from the Bible, he was, he was a tax collector. And to be a tax collector in that day and age was not something that was looked happily upon. Because these people were known for taking more money than they should because they wanted just a little bit for themselves. They would steal from people in their very collectings of taxes. But also as well, they represented a Roman government that ruled over Israel. And so not only did they cheat people out of their money, they represented a nation that they didn't like at all. Tax collectors were not looked highly upon. And rightfully so when you're stealing people's money. And so... This story makes a point of it to say that he's not only a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. And the way that I would look at that is if, like, if tax collectors are, are, are like drug dealers, this is like the drug lord. Like, this is the one who is causing people to become tax collectors and, and helping them do worse things. He's over it. And what it would even say as well is that he was wealthy. And that's important to note in this story because it was from that lifestyle that he was able to acquire great riches and great wealth. It doesn't say in the story that he was struggling. It doesn't say that he was questioning what life was about. Life was good for Zacchaeus. He was making the money from the very way that he was living his life. There's no indication that he was struggling. And yet it just says here that he wanted to see Jesus. He, he, had, um, he wanted to see who Jesus was. And so um, he goes and he, he, he makes a point to climb up a tree because he's short. Many of us can relate to that. Um, so he can actually see Jesus. But in verse 5, I think this is interesting because when we look at the story, we can say that Zacchaeus went to go look for Jesus, but the story is about Jesus looking for Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus takes his spot and he's up in a tree, but in verse 5 it says that Jesus, when he got to the spot, it said that he looked for him. And it says that Jesus was the one who initiated the conversation. Zacchaeus didn't yell out to Jesus, but Jesus yelled out to Zacchaeus. This story is much more about uh, Jesus finding a sinner, a wicked man, as much as it is the other way. And Jesus' first words to him in verse 5, they tell the whole story of what we're going to focus around. He says, Zacchaeus, says, come down immediately. You look like a fool in that tree. 
He says, I must stay at your house today. He says, I must, I must come over to your place. He doesn't say, hey, can we talk about how you're living? Hey, can we just, can we step off for a second? I just want to talk about your lifestyle. He doesn't say that. He says, I got to come over. I just got to hang out with you. That's powerful to note in this story, so much so that when you look down in verse 7, it says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Not just some of the people. It says, all of the people, what are you doing? You know, why are you going to be the guest of a sinner? And in the NLT version, it actually says they were displeased. There was something displeasing about what Jesus did in the way that he treated Zacchaeus in this moment of saying, let's go hang out together at at your place. It rubbed people the wrong way, and I think it's something that um, could be easy for us to relate to in rubbing the wrong way because a lot of our first tendency when it comes to wicked people around us, when you think about those people who are capable of hurting you or have hurt you, and to look at them, our first tendency is to correct them. And like Zacchaeus, to tell them what they could be doing better. And we think nothing short of a complete lifestyle change or even repentance is the thing that they need first and foremost. But Jesus, we don't see him approach things that way with Zacchaeus. You know, if Jesus was at your school and you think about that, you think about that student at your school who's using drugs, you think about that student that's at your school who, who bullies other people or is sexually immoral, the first thing Jesus would do is he would sit down with him at lunch. That's the first reaction before he would get into anything about their lifestyle. Now, why is that? Jesus understands something about love none of them did, and we still don't understand today, and we still struggle with both for ourselves but also for other people when it comes to love. So let me ask you a question this morning. Jesus is standing in front of a wicked man. He's rich in the world's eyes. He's doing just fine with the money that he's making. Why do you think the first thing he said to him was, let's hang out? And why do you think he ultimately repented and came to know the Lord because of that? I want you to think about that this morning. Because when you read through the Gospels and you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the story of Jesus' life, you begin to notice certain things about how Jesus lived his life. You begin to notice certain things that Jesus loved to do. You want to know one of those things were? Jesus loved food. Jesus absolutely loved food. And you know what? It's funny because you could even go as far as to say it, that when Jesus took on humanity, he began to eat food and to drink water, and he realized how awesome it was, which is why so many of his stories relate around food. With eating with disciples, with eating with Pharisees, with eating with tax collectors and sinners, I'm the bread of life, turning water into wine. But you know what? It's, it's, so the next time you eat, you can just say I'm being like Christ, I guess. So. But it's, it's more than that. It's more than just food. It's, it's never about the food, is it, guys? Can I get an amen? It's never just about the plate in front of you. It's more than that. It's about love. Because what you see in those moments are Jesus is centered around food because he's centered around humanity. And he's centered around showing respect to humanity. Love is something that we can speak and something we can do, but it's also something we can imply. How many of you have ever heard the word imply before? Some of you have, but probably many of you haven't. Implied is this thing that is just assumed by the way that you treat people. And so although you may be saying something to someone, 
You are also speaking another message by the very context by, of what you're speaking, that message. So here's an example. Let's say you're playing a sport and you mess up on the field and your coach begins to cuss you out right there in front of everyone in front of your parents because you messed up at something. Now, let's say that exact same thing happens in a game. Let's say this is a complete alternate universe. The same thing happens, but instead of yelling at you, he waits till after the game when you're packing up, when you're eating your snack, before you're about to head home with your parents. He says, hey, I just want to talk to you about this game because you did a great job, but I think you could do a lot better. This is what you need to work on. Now, it could be the exact same things in both stories, but isn't a complete different message of love being conveyed in both of them? Something completely different is being conveyed, and I think that's what Jesus is getting at in this story because of the implications of love that he's showing in this passage. Jesus implies love with everything that he does, not just with the words that he says in the same way that we are. Because to eat with someone, that's a basic human trait we all share. To share a meal with someone, to simply sit across the table from someone, is something that we all do no matter where we come from, where we find ourselves, whether we feel completely great or feel completely broken. It's something that we share with. And so to sit at a table with someone and to look them eye to eye is to show, to say that you respect that person. It's to say that you associate with that person. It's to say that you accept that person if you're willing to just sit down with them and not demand anything of them. Which is why... I think that with God and himself, that's, that's implied before a word is even said to Zacchaeus. Jesus showed that he loved him and that he accepted him and he wanted to be a part of his life before Zacchaeus knew he even needed it. You see, with God's love, the first thing that comes is a meal. That's the first thing, both for us and through us to other people. That has to come before anything. That comes before any correction. That comes before any judgment whatsoever. Kindness and respect and association with one another comes first and foremost before we offer our opinions about people's lives. You know, I think the, ru- the, the, lunch, the lunchroom is one of the most ruthless places. Um, would you guys agree with me in that? Would you, can you just give me a nod that it is... It is one of the most ruthless places when it comes to just sharing with one another because the same kids that you were friends in class with may not be the kids that you sit with in the cafeteria. And the kids that you sit in church with may not be the same kids that you sit in the same lunchroom as. Because it's really hard to assume love when you're in the lunchroom. And it's really hard to step up from your table of friends and go and sit with someone who actually needs them. You know, it's, it's hard to get up away from all of your friends in that moment when you're getting, oh, you feel like it's your personal time to stand up and go and sit with a Zacchaeus and just to show basic human respect to him. Because it's easier for us to love a Zacchaeus on our own terms. It's easier for us to love him within the context of us, only at church, only within my schedule, but not in that moment. But Jesus would say, nope. It's in this moment that love is shown best and most genuine. That's the love you need, and that's the love the world needs. In fact, you can't love someone like Jesus. You I, wanna, I want you to hear this. You cannot love someone like Jesus if you're not willing to sit down and have a meal with them. If you're not willing to sit across from someone and eat with them, then you can't love them like Jesus. Because that's the most basic human traits of love. If you can't sit down and associate with someone, then you can't say anything against them. 
Don't even think about judging someone or don't even think about offering your opinion unless you're willing to sit with them and to get to know them first. Correcting people without putting any time into relationship, into knowing them, you know, that's easy. And oftentimes you do it not to truly help them, but to make yourself feel better. Correcting people without putting your heart on the line, correcting people without any actual relationship or getting to know them by their name and who they are, rather than just a bully or rather than just someone who stumbles. Or like in this story, they would look at him and say, that's a sinner. But Jesus would say, no, his name's Zacchaeus. He has a name. You know, he matters. And he deserves, he deserves the human respect like a meal with one another that you're not giving him. You see, there's a, there's a missions dilemma right now kind of in, our, in America right now with the American church in the sense that we love to go across seas or we love to go out there or we love to send money out to help people. But there's been actually a lot of trouble with coming the other way. When people are seeking to come over here, we're not willing to open up our doors to them because it means opening up our personal lives. And I think one of the reasons why that happens is because it's easy to love people on a Sunday when there's certain structures and you don't have to put your heart on the line versus loving people when you go back home and inviting them into your house and inviting them into those personal places in your heart. You see, it's harder for us to open our hearts to certain people and put it on the line, just like Jesus did with Zacchaeus. Loving them is hard, and loving people over a meal is hard because of this. You can't control the conversation. You're not in control of the situation. When you go to someone else's, when you sit down and you eat with them, you're the foreigner when you go into someone else's world. You're not, you're not, the, you're not the majority. You're the minority in that situation. But love thrives in being the minority. And love, Jesus' love thrives on being on foreign soil. Jesus stopped his world and scheduled Zacchaeus into it. I love that because he was on a mission to go to Jerusalem. And he stopped everything to be able to just have a simple meal. What I would say is the only way you can truly love someone is if you can be interrupted. You can't love people like Christ if you can't be interrupted. If your schedule is not interruptible, you're going to miss the very things that the Holy Spirit is trying to open the doors for you to love people around you or open the doors to love you as well. You know, people matter to God, and respecting and loving them like Jesus does, is it's the highest priority that we have. I love verse 9 because just like it said in verse 7, people called him a sinner. People looked at him as a chief tax collector. But in verse 9, Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. And that's a title um, for someone who's a part of Israel, God's chosen people. He calls him a chosen person of God. And you know what? From the beginning of that story all the way through, Jesus treated him as such. Jesus treated him exactly as such. He treated him in the way that he would stop his schedule and go into his world and give him attention and get to know him because he saw him for who he really was. Yeah, to the world he might be a sinner. At the, just to the naked eye he might be a sinner and a tax collector, but he knows who he really is. He's a son of God whether he realizes it or not yet. Love is being open to enter another person's world without judging them. You know, for the leaders in the room, I think that's why it's so important to reach out to students, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but, but also outside of it, but making space for just those points of reaching out to students in their world as well. I think that as, as a leader, 
um, whether you're a leader in this ministry or you just find yourself in a position where you get to love people like Christ, if you're standing before someone and you go, what do I do to lead him to Christ? The first thing that you got to say to yourself is I got to take him out to lunch or I just got to take him out to coffee. I just got to hang out with them. I got to go to their game. I got to, and if I go one time, I'm going to keep going. I'll go consistently and show them that I'm willing to step into their world in the same way that Jesus is willing to step into their world. You know, go and watch a movie with them. Yes, the movie is probably stupid <laughs> and like, but you're not watching it for yourself. You're watching it for them. You know, and that's the thing about love. You're not doing it for yourself. I always imagined Zacchaeus being the most annoying man in the world. Could you imagine if Zacchaeus was one of the most annoying people in the world? And so, like, all the people are like, oh, he, he, Jesus is coming into town. Zacchaeus is going to get it, man. He's going to totally get it. And Jesus is totally going to put him in his place. And then Jesus is like, hey, let's hang out. And everyone's like, no, no. But you know those people. You know those people that are annoying and that are tough to love. And oftentimes we can say, all right, I'll enter into their world if they're lovable. If they're lovable. What about the ones who are unlovable? Those are the people that matter most to God. And those are the people that that God wants us to reach most of all. What about your families? You don't reach out to those who are easy to love, but you got to reach out to those who need it. I think one thing that's so interesting is that Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus to come to the temple. I love that because he didn't just say, hey, you need to come to church with me. He said, no, let's hang out. Let's get to know one another. God can meet you right here and right now. What's even more crazy about this story than Jesus' first words are how the story ends. Because if people are as dumbfounded and confused about it, that why would, you, why would you eat with him? Why won't you talk to him? Why won't you correct him? And yet, look at the response in this story. It says that he came to see who Jesus was. But then the words out of his mouth when he's over at his house is, Look, Lord. Calls him Lord. Something has changed in the midst of that meal and that time that Jesus poured out to him. Something changed in his understanding of who God was. But even then, you look at the, look, Lord, Dad, look at me. Dad, look what I'm doing for you. I'm going to pay back all the debts that I owe. And if I cheated anyone out, I'm going to pay them back four times. You not only see a true repentance, but an actual excitement to do it. Like someone who's not afraid to admit that he screwed up and that his life was messed up. And you want to know why? Because he knew the forgiveness and the love could cover it. The only way you could ever be open about the weaknesses of your past is if you know that God's love is greater than it, which it is. That is a word for everyone in this room who thinks they have to be ashamed of their past or their present or are scared of their future because of their weaknesses. I just want to tell you that God's love and God's grace and God's victory is over it. You don't have to live in fear. Can I get an amen on that? You know... I think a good way to describe the story of, well, well, Jesus, why didn't you just correct him is like this. Let's say Zacchaeus was like a person who was out in the desert, and he was, he was just so thirsty. He hadn't drank water in days. Do you think walking up to a person like that and explaining why they're thirsty, well, 
you're, you're really tired, and that's a sign of dehydration. And, um, well, you just look just a little bit just tired, and um, you look frail. Um, so, see, you're thirsty. You need some water. And water has, has two hydrogens and one oxygen, and that's going to be able to help you. No, like, don't do that. <laughs> that's not going to help them at all. You want to you wanna know what you got to do? Stick a bottle of water in their hand and say, drink. So even if they don't know that they're thirsty, stay with me. Even if they don't know that they're thirsty, the minute that they drink water, they're going to realize, wow, I was really thirsty. And the only way I knew that was because of something that was filled in me. And so oftentimes we say, hey, this is how you need Jesus right now. Um, this is what you need to do. And this is where you're lacking in God's love in your heart. Rather than just saying, you know what, I'm going to just pour God's love on you. And that's how you're going to realize that you need it. See, we're, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 5. When it comes to the world out there, it's not our business to judge it. In fact, in John 16, one of the, one of the traits of the Holy Spirit is it says it will convict the world of its sin. The Holy Spirit will convict the world out there. We get to be there to proclaim the forgiveness and the grace that's over there where they fall short. We don't go out there and we don't play the Holy Spirit. Trying to be the Holy Spirit is a bad idea. It's a bad idea. You know, there's a story um, I want to share with you guys. It's about a woman named Mary Johnson and a, a guy named O'Shea. Um, I think there's a photo of them. They both live in Minnesota. Um, Mary is on the left, and um, basically, long story short, um, she had a son, and when he was 16 years old, he went to a party, and he got in a huge argument, and the person that they got in an argument with uh, murdered him, murdered him, and it was actually that guy right there that was the one that pulled the trigger, um, and he went to prison for a while because of it, and um, Mary is a believer, and what she was feeling like God was calling her to do was obviously to forgive him. That's what, in the same way that Christ has forgiven her, she forgave O'Shea. But then she felt like God was calling her to do even more. And so what she began to do is she actually went to the prison and began meeting with him on a regular basis. And then it led to a point of saying, hey, when you come out of prison, there's a place that's open right next to where I live with my family. I want you to live there, and I want to help integrate you into society. Because murder was just one of the many problems that O'Shea had. He, was, he grew up in a gang-related kind of area. He didn't know anything about what it meant to be a man or even to be an adult or to get out of that lifestyle. And so she dedicated her life to helping him get out of that. And to this day, they're still next-door neighbors. Um, and one thing that they actually do together as well is they go to churches and they talk about forgiveness to people. And they minister together. And you know... That's, that's such a beautiful picture of what um, the difference between kind of just correcting people at a distance versus saying, I need to have a meal with you. I need to share my life with you, just like they did. That's Christ's love to the max, right there, right there, you know. And I think the thing about it was both of them will say it's, it's great, but it's also tough to be able to do that. Because on one hand, she's reminded that um, she doesn't have her son because of that man that's in front of her. That's one of the things about sitting down and dealing with one another. And then he feels a, a major guilt because he's getting shown all this love for something he feels like he doesn't deserve. 
But you see, when you grow, when you get close with one another and you begin to share stuff, you begin to address these things in your heart and you begin to grow so much closer to the Lord. You know, I, I even think about this story. What if Jesus would have just corrected him on the street and said, you know, stop stealing and just kept walking. Something bad will happen to you, Zacchaeus, if you don't repent and just walked on. You know what might have happened? It doesn't say, obviously, because that's not what happened. But I truly believe he may have done it, but he would have done it out of fear. He would have just done it out of fear of going to hell or something bad happening to him. But don't you see in this when he's shown the love of Christ that he not only repents, but he does it because he realizes the love of God. We were meant to live in that love of God, and we were meant to act upon that love of God. And, you know, not to say that there isn't a place for truth, but let me ask you, what's the context for your truth? What's the context that you speak truth over people? Because you can't bring truth unless you're, you're bringing it within the context of love. I think in, in uh, Luke 11, there's a passage of Scripture where Jesus basically, he mic drops the the Pharisees, and he just calls them out on a lot of things. Calls them out on the way that they're living and the way that they're leading and saying that it's wrong. Gabe, you want to sit down, bud? I see you. I see you, Gabe. <laughs> um, and, but I want you to look at Luke eleven thirty seven. I want you to look at that scripture, if you could put that up. This is how it starts. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. That, that was the context for the conversation that they had. It was at a meal with one another. Basic respect for one another before you get into any truth. You see, that's something that we're called to. And you see that throughout the scriptures. You even think about um, all the times that Jesus, when he called out people, was met by grace first. Even the very coming down from heaven was a predecessor to his truth of showing that he was willing to step out of heaven and to come to earth, testify to his love, long before he proclaimed the truth of how badly we needed him. If Jesus can step out of heaven, you can sit next to someone at lunch. Can I get an amen? Leaders, Jesus can step out of heaven. You can reach out to students outside of church. And I would even say that the influence that you have of God's love depends on it. You know, even with that, I think that's something that we do on a big scale outside of church, but it's something we do within church. If somebody walks in that door, Who's, it's their first time here, um, it's all of our responsibility to be like Jesus and to reach out to them. Hey, come sit with us. Just to be even welcoming and to imply love by the way we would treat them. To sit back and to just look at them and go, well, I'm going to go hang out with my friends is completely counter to what Jesus teaches. And so even in those little moments, you see the love of Christ in this. Overall, I think um, you can bring it full circle in this way. Jesus wants to come to your house. The reason why we were able to reach out to others is because God reaches out to us. It's as simple as that. He wants to eat at your table, and he wants to eat with you every day. He wants to be in a relationship with every part of your life. Will you let him in the same way that Zacchaeus did? You could say what you want about Zacchaeus in this story. But you want to know what he did that changed his life? That if we do too, it'll change ours. When Jesus said, I'd like to come over to your house, he said, yes, come. That was a wicked man's house that Jesus was invited into. 
he let Jesus see probably some of the most wicked things, probably let him see the very money that he had stolen from people or saw possessions that he had bought with the very money that he had stolen. And yet in that moment, he just said, okay, I'm going to invite you in, God. I'm going to invite you in. And because of that, he, he experienced God's love and forgiveness and grace. It's easy in the same way that it's easy for us to correct others, I think sometimes it's easy to have a relationship with God where all he does is correct you. I think sometimes it's easy for us to have a God that only corrects us when we cuss or when we mess up because it doesn't require any personal relationship with one another. When God really wants us to come inside our house, I think that's the thing that's really difficult for us. You know, Maybe you're afraid to go into someone else's house because you're afraid to let God into yours. Or maybe you're afraid to sit at someone else's table because you don't think God would ever want to sit at your table. Well, I just want to tell you this morning, that's not true. God wants to sit at your table and be a part of your house and be a part of your world. And I would even just say this as we just um, finish up. If you let God fully know everything you are, then in turn you will learn how much God fully loves you. If you let God fully into every part of your house, it's only going to reveal more of God's love for you. More of God's love for you. And so um, I'm going to ask something. If we could all just stand together, we're going to respond. And um, as we stand, I want you guys to just close your eyes, not because it makes you more holy, but it's easier to focus on the Lord because this is a moment between you and God um, in this moment. And what I would just even say right now, go ahead and close your eyes. Um, If you feel like you're being called to respond to this message, go out and just stick your hands out in front of you. Maybe you've just felt God's conviction. Maybe you've even felt just the fear of feeling like God doesn't want to sit at my table. And that's not true, and that's a lie. That's a lie. God wants to sit at your table, and God wants to be a part of your life. And so um, this this morning, we're going to pray that we would be like Zacchaeus in that way. And maybe you this morning you feel like, you know, you've just been looking at the world. Maybe you've been struggling with the world around you. Maybe you've been struggling with people around you at school. And it's just you're, the only way that you can deal with it is by going like just by labeling them. Sometimes labeling people is an easy way to put them in a box or even to avoid hurt. And so to say just, man, they're a bully or, man, they just, they're just dumb. You know what? That's. That's judging them, and that's degrading them, even if it's true. Maybe this morning you need to ask yourself, maybe I need to be open and willing to just sit with them. Just be even willing to accept them and and call them what they are, someone who's loved by God.